I am your host, Christopher Calloway. Welcome to Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists working in comics and other mediums as well. Freelance writer Caleb Palmquist returns to talk about his next science fiction comic book, A Small Favor, Welcome to Earthworld. His first publication, A Small Favor, was successfully funded as a Kickstarter project back in 2017 and it raised over $3,400. His follow-up, Welcome to Earthworld, is a 20-page one-shot, the perfect jumping-on point to introduce new readers to James and his AI companion, Liz. As of this recording, the project is already over 70% funded. When Caleb and I first spoke on the show, he talked about going into teaching and I asked him how he's faring as a middle school teacher. What did Caleb learn about his first comic book that changed his approach to the next release? Why did he reduce the number of rewards for backers? Caleb shares a bit of trivia about Orson Welles, and we talk about his favorite movies, an island book. We also talk about a technology that is quickly becoming outdated, and why Caleb cannot stop buying more of these products. A special note about today's episode, it's being released on Caleb's birthday. So please wish him a happy birthday, on Twitter, it's at SmallFavorComic, and share his interview with a friend who likes comics and sci-fi. This episode is brought to you by the comic book shop at 1855 Marsh Road at the Plaza 3 Shopping Center in Wilmington, Delaware, where comics are for everyone. Just be nice. So now please join me and birthday boy Caleb Palmquist talking about his next work, A Small Favor, Welcome to Earth World, here now on Creator Talks. Caleb, welcome back to Creator Talks. Hi. We were trying to set up this conversation. We were going back and forth on instant message on Facebook. And I was on a stationary bike at the gym at the time, which is my, <laughs> which is why my answers were so short. Because <laughs> I was like, huff, huff. Yes. Okay, huff. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. I'm on this bike. There's only a couple of them in this gym. And I really like them because they have these programs where you can pick the intensity of the workout. So I'm actually going up a hill. I have other riders around me. There's a pacer always dogging me. And while I'm texting to you, like I'm I'm going off the rails. I'm riding (laughs) through other people. And I wish they had a consequence like... You have two lives left because <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I can keep going. It, it lets you uh, break the laws of physics and reality, but I, it'd be more fun if I'd actually crash into somebody instead of just like go straight through them. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> but here's another weird thing. I'm watching television on the wall. I believe it was a water company. I was kind of half paying attention. And the spokesperson's there talking about things. And I guess this was a message directed towards seniors and their water bill. And they would show people in the call center. And big as day. On the screen, it said Shutterstock in your commercial. Shutterstock, <laughs> not actual representatives. I couldn't believe it. this was like in the wow. middle of the day during a news program. This was the commercial they were running. Unbelievable. Well, when we talked last time, uh, you were teaching middle school. Still at it? Oh no, I am. Uh, I'm not teaching middle school anymore. It turns out, uh, trying to corral middle schoolers all day is uh, is like a horrifying and uh, exhausting job. So I'm um, taking a break from teaching right now. That's a really tough group of kids. At that age, middle school, they're challenging everybody. They're not focused. I was there, so I know what it's like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was difficult. I mean, uh, I enjoyed it. Like, the kids are awesome. But I mean, you know, they're awesome in that kind of way where it's like, if you have nieces or nephews and you go over and hang out with them and you're like 
these kids are awesome, but I'm glad I don't have to hang out with them all the time, 24-7. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how some people do that. That would be like my worst nightmare is having to deal with kids at that age. Because at least in high school, you have the ones that are really paying attention. You get to college, they're there for a reason. They're spending their harder money on tuition, or their parents are. <laughs> so yeah, they have yeah. to do well, you know. It's tough in middle school. So are you doing... Besides the project we're going to talk about, any other freelance work or any other writing work? Sure, yeah. I'm uh, doing freelance writing for some various nonprofits in, in, down in my area. A little bit of video work and writing work and stuff like that. Promotional materials for uh, local charities and stuff like that is sort of how I'm keeping a roof over my head right now while I uh, you know, desperately spend all the other time that I have on trying to get creative projects off the ground. Do you prefer doing the freelance versus, and I'm not saying necessarily middle school teaching, but a typical eight to five job? Do you like the freedom of the freelance, the flexibility that it gives you? I do like the freedom. Today, I you know, I went out, went to the gym in the middle of the day, which is, of course, something I never would have been able to do uh, as a teacher. But, of course, there's, you know, the benefits and the consistent pay and everything that uh, having any sort of regular contracted salary job brings you. I mean, I do all right as a freelancer, but, you know, I never know for sure if I'm going to get paid the same amount or when I'm going to get paid or how much I'm going to get paid. There's a lot of hustling that happens. I do love the freedom a lot, but it's it takes more maintenance and takes more day-to-day hustling. And I guess it takes more financial planning, you know, long-term to kind of weather the uh, slowness in getting jobs and uh, weathering a tough economy too, and planning for things like retirement, healthcare, and all that stuff. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm still a young dude, so I'm like not uh, doing very good at planning uh, <laughs> for retirement, but I should be thinking about that. Uh, for sure. <laughs> well, at least as a young dude, you don't have to worry too much about medical situations, you know, other than like catastrophic uh, coverage kind of thing. You don't have to worry about ongoing maintenance things at your stage. But the retirement, the great thing is you have time. That's the most important thing I think a lot of people don't realize. And by the way, I don't give it financial advice. So please see your tax advisor. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, though. <laughs> As, I, as I'm getting towards that going down the other side of the hill, it really did help to be doing this for a long time as far as saving because some years are good, some years are bad. This has been a rough year. But in overall, things tend to work out if you're looking at it long range. This isn't about finances. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but last time we chatted, it's back in August of 2017. I can't believe it's been that long. We talked about your Kickstarter, A Small Favor. And you were working with John Grimes, and you still are successfully funded. And here we are talking about the next chapter. Actually, I understand it is a prequel. Yeah. For anyone who's read A Small Favor, the first volume, it jumps around in time a lot. There's actually a thousand years uh, of story there in terms of the earliest story in the timeline to the latest story in the timeline. So although this is kind of a prequel, it actually takes place near the end of that timeline. So we have our sort of main story, which takes place in the year 2811. And this story takes place five years before that. It's a prequel in the sense of it's set before the very first time you meet the characters, but it's still in the distant future. And the characters are James, who is this individual who 
has lived for hundreds of years. It's been almost like, what, a thousand year period we're talking about, the first volume, and in his AI companion, Liz. That's correct. And they're both in this story coming up. Liz is back too. Yeah, actually, this story focuses a lot more on Liz than our first volume did. She's a really important character. She's not just the Alexa. She's a fully formed person. And so uh, in this story, we wanted to flesh that out a lot more and show her motivations and what she cares about. Now, for those who haven't read the first volume, explain why it's called A Small Favor. The Small Favor is uh, really an important part of the central narrative. And if you read volume one, it's not immediately clear until you're about two thirds of the way in what the small favor is. You still don't know what it is, but essentially a long time ago, James was saved from drowning by this mysterious old man. And the mysterious old man told him that in exchange for quasi immortality, he was going to owe him a small favor. And, uh, and then he never found out what that was. And actually, this story that's coming out, it's called Welcome to Earth World, is the story of James deciding to find out what that small favor is. He's been alive for 950 years, and, and now he finally has decided to basically get his butt in gear and figure out what the heck this old man wanted because he told him that 950 years ago and then he never saw the old man again. And so to answer your question, that's why it's called A Small Favor is because the whole story is predicated on this favor that this mysterious character wants from James, the main character, but he never found out what it was. In the Zero issue, they're going to go to a futuristic amusement park. That's right. So the whole thing, almost the whole story is set in a futuristic amusement park called Earthworld. It's a theme park themed around Earth, only this is way in the future and Earth is long dead. And so it's sort of what the people who created the theme park would have thought Earth looked like. And what they thought Earth was. So they get some things wrong. For example, in America World, which is one of the uh, areas in Earth World, there is uh, a ride where you ride a bicycle on the moon. That sounds pretty interesting, uh, how they get things wrong. Probably like we also get things wrong. We were at the Science Museum in Baltimore, and we were looking at the dinosaur displays, and I said to my wife, I said, you know, they're going to have to fix all these and put some feathers on them. Because they're all wrong, you know, right? Because I mean, we're yeah. all looking at back at the past and we weren't there. So this is what's happening here in your story is this is what they think Earth was like because it's no longer there. And a lot of the information is probably gone to the history records. So this is what they think it was like. What else can we expect to see in the story? I don't want to ask you to give away too much, but just to kind of tease us a little more about what we can expect to see in the story. Essentially, when we first meet James in the story, he's been floating around in space for years. And he's basically he's lived a long time and he's bored. And uh, he doesn't really want to go exploring anymore. He's apathetic at this point. But Liz wants to uh, sort of revitalize his interest in exploring. And she's restless. She wants to see more of the universe. And so she finds this advertisement for Earthworld on the net and then asks James to go with her to the theme park. And that's sort of how we start out the story. So the story is going to involve them going to the theme park, seeing this interpretation of Earth, but also throughout the whole story, there's a conversation between James and Liz about their past together, James past, the old man, 
we are, we're going to get some hints and some more clues about the old man and what his motives are. And this is going to be a 20-page story. It's a 20-page story. It's not long. It's a floppy comic. And it's actually intended to be a jumping-on point or, or the introductory point. So from now on, we are actually going to advise people to read this first and then read Volume 1 because we feel like it is a better introduction uh, to the characters and the plot and the conflict in the story. The problem with volume one that we realized it was our first comic that we ever did, and we were very proud of it. We think it's cool, but one feedback we kept getting from readers over and over and over again was that until I was almost done, I didn't know what was happening. Uh, and that it, that was very confusing. And because it jumps around, I mean, it jumps back and forth from the far future to the far past. we got a story about cowboys and the story set in the 70s. And there's some glimpses even all the way back to like medieval times in there. And so it's it's a little hard to follow. Once you've read volume one, I think all the pieces come together. Hopefully with this new story, it's a fun story and it also sets up the plot in a very easy to understand way that sets it up very quickly. So hopefully it's a better story to draw new readers in and get them interested in the world because we think that the world we've set up and the story we've set up is really interesting and fascinating. And uh, and hopefully this new story helps sells that. So this, you could say, is one of the best practices you picked up from the first Kickstarter feedback from your readers to do something like this to make it easier to get into the universe of James and Liz. Absolutely. You know, there's some writers that don't lay everything out and they will jump around. And I think Jonathan Hickman is one of those that when you read his entire set of work, if it's like for Fantastic Four or something like that, it makes more sense when you read the whole thing. It's kind of hard to read in bits and pieces. They don't want to reveal everything. I kind of do like to know where I'm going. I will say the second time I read it, since I knew where it was going, it made a lot more sense. If you were to go back at some point, would you go back and tweak that in some way, rearrange that first volume? Possibly. Our intention with the first volume was to try to introduce the character of James and a lot of the flashbacks don't, I hate to say this because we wanted it to seem like everything was part of this big grand plan. And we do have a grand plan in terms of where the story goes, but some of the flashbacks in volume one are purely to introduce elements of the character, like how does this character behave, what's he like? And they're not actually plot threads that we plan to continue. <laughs> and so because of that, like I'm not sure how much we could do in terms of making it more streamlined. There's probably a few tweaks I would make. I mean, to be honest, if I had to do it again, I would have front-loaded more information. I think that I thought I was being very clever by uh, sort of dropping little bits of information one at a time. It, with time and retrospect, I realized that, you know, the story is probably not as deep as I thought it was. Not to say that I don't think it's still a cool story, but I would do things differently. I think if we got picked up by a publisher, this new number zero, we would probably just relabel it as issue number one and then go from there. If it were me, I mean, what I would suggest is I would try to add a little bit more in between each of those time changes, maybe like one page or some dialogue or something just to kind of help understand why they're there. But I can certainly see why you wouldn't want to go back and write all those subplots out. Because it was just to get to know the character. That's how I took it. Because you'd have a ton of stuff. It would be very confusing <laughs> to go back. But we talked about publishers. And I know you're trying to 
work with publishers, see if someone's interested. And you've had some nibbles, I understand. Are you in discussions? Does anything look promising? We did talk to a couple of publishers at a couple of conventions, but it's sort of a hard discussion because to be honest, talking to other people who are sort of further along in the indie comics world than I am and uh, and looking at different publishers and stuff, sometimes it's hard to see the benefits necessarily. Unless you're talking about a really big publisher, you know, if Image Comics wanted to run my comic, I mean, I would be all over that because that's a huge leap forward in terms of audience and exposure and everything. But for some of these smaller publishers, I, we've been sort of looking at how much do they actually do for you versus, you know, how much of the cut they're taking. You know, a lot of times it's like, well, well, they're going to take 50 percent, which is better than a lot of traditional publishers. But it's still like if they're taking 50 percent and, and what else are they doing for you? And is that more than I could do for myself? Uh, you know, in terms of the stuff that actually is going to get the book into people's hands, like advertising and spreading awareness and growing an audience and stuff. A lot of times these smaller publishers aren't going to do that for you. It's just a matter of whether or not it's worth it. I mean, we've considered it at this point. I think we're probably going to stay indie, stay self-published. It just seems like the right move unless a really big deal publisher wanted to get involved. Now, with this issue, you have some of the same creators returning again. I believe Noah Meese and Lee Majluski is working on the book again. Lee is working on the book. He's lettering the book. But Noah Meese is not actually involved in this book. The way that our story works is that every time period is drawn by a different artist. And so we decided that five years prior was enough of a time difference to have a different artist. And also Noah is actually a professional set designer on Broadway. Uh, he's like this amazingly talented uh, set designer, prop designer, and drawing is sort of something he does for fun on the side. We actually have him slowly working on the next full volume of A Small Favor and uh, asking him to draw this entire issue was gonna be a stretch in terms of time. Uh, and so basically we decided not to, not to involve him on this issue. Uh, but he has been there behind the scenes. Like he read the script, he's been seeing the pages because he very much is like the sort of almost third member of the team. Noah was the guy who was there from the very beginning of the story. He was the first artist that we hired and he was involved in the whole process before we even knew what we were doing. So he's sort of involved in a way of like, in the sense that he cares about the project, but he didn't have a direct contribution. The guy who's drawing the main book is a guy named Kyle Serifolian, who is awesome. He's next level, uh, I think, one of the most talented artists that we've had on the book. Uh, he just started sort of full-time freelancing as a comic book artist. And we were one of the first projects that he decided to take on, which was um, very flattering for us because if you see his art, that's going to be most of the art in the book. It's incredible. I mean, it's really next level stuff. But besides Kyle Serifolian, we also have Luca Bulgaroni, who actually colored a lot of the pages in volume one. So he is returning. He does this really awesome coloring work. Lee Maluski is returning from volume one. In volume one, he drew one of the stories in the book and he also lettered the entire book and he's lettering this book. And then we also have Jeremy Treese who did the cover for volume one and did pages 
in volume one. He is doing the cover again for this one. And that's all on the webpage for A Small Favor Zero. The Kickstarter goes live on January 22nd. And if I read the page, I know who did the book, <laughs> which I, yeah. I did, but I didn't pay attention. <laughs> well, uh, I can definitely understand uh, the, the confusion because we actually did list Noah on the section of the website where, it's, where it talks about the team because uh, we always credit Noah for creating the visual concepts for the main characters, which he did. So he's sort of always perpetually credited even when he didn't contribute art to a project. So when the Kickstarter goes live on the 22nd, then what are some of the levels that we are going to see for the campaign? You said it'll be a floppy, but will there be other editions like, say, digital and other like signed copies and so forth? For this one, we're keeping it really simple. One thing that we talked about a lot in terms of Kickstarters is that a lot of times there are so many options when you get to that backer level. I think that can be overwhelming, and I think a lot of times what people want is just the book. And so we have four backer levels, which is down from last time. Basically, you can get the digital book. You can get the digital and the physical. You can get both digital books or everything, both digital and both physical books. Those are the levels, and we're pricing it a lot lower than we priced last time. You can get the digital book for just $4, and you can get it for just $5 in shipping for the physical book. And then we have a bundle available where you can get the first book and this new book for a discount. Last time we did a Kickstarter, again, we had never done it before. We didn't know what we were doing. We priced it probably, if I'm honest, way too high. We had a lot more backers back in the digital edition than the physical edition. And I think a lot driving that was because the price was so high uh, for the physical edition. So we've cut the price way down. I mean, for $5 plus shipping, depending on your country, you can get the, the physical book. You can also get the volume one for way less than we charged last time because we really just want to get this book into people's hands is the number one thing this time around. That's pretty good for an indie book, five bucks. That's about what they go for. Having fewer options, because I've been on some Kickstarter pages where I'm really confused because there's so many different iterations and permutations of every possible combination. There's 20 levels, and I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> and I can't figure it out. Now, once those physical copies are in hand, are you hitting the Florida area, your side of the country, and then John will hit his side to uh, try to promote the book at cons and so forth? For sure. Uh, right now, we're signed up for, I think, seven conventions next year, and we're doing a few in Florida, Orlando MegaCon, Tampa Bay Comic Con, and then we're doing we're going to Heroes Con in Charlotte, and we're going to, I think it's just called Atlanta Comic Con. We are also heading over to the other side of the country for Rose City Comic Con, which we are super excited for in Portland, Oregon. That's sort of the sister convention to Emerald City Comic Con, which is sort of the top of our wish list. And we have been turned down two years running, but we're going to keep applying to that one. And then we are also going to a convention in my hometown of Spokane, Washington, which is a little two-day convention called the Lilac City Comic Con. Well, I hope you get into Rose City. I've heard a lot about it, never been there, but it sounds great. And I've always wanted to go out that side of the country. So I hope that works out for you. But you have a good plan to get out there and promote this. And besides social media, of course, you have to be there to meet people and show them the book. Okay, so that goes live on the 22nd. It's going to run for about, what, 30 days? Pretty much exactly 30 days. It starts on a Tuesday, 22nd until February. Uh, it's like a Thursday in February. Folks, we're having this conversation before it's actually launched. You'll be able to see this by the time we're having this conversation. So, Okay, well, very good. Uh, looking forward to that zero issue. The zero issues have really 
taken off as a concept for a lot of publishers. I remember probably seeing my first one back in the 90s. Image or Valiant were doing zero issues. And then Marvel started doing zero issues. Now, everybody does zero issues, but it's perfect as a starting point after something's already been published to have that zero issue. It's just a number, right? It's the beginning. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I like the idea. Well, do you have time for some questions? Ask all my guests. I call it now Kicking Back with the Creator. I've been trying to find a name for this thing. It struck me today. Eh, let's call it Kicking Back with the Creator. <laughs> I have, uh, I've got plenty of time for you, Chris. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, last time we talked, when you like to rest and relax, one of the things you would do is listen to audiobooks on long walks and go hiking. Are you still getting to a chance to listen to audiobooks? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm still listening to a lot of a lot of audiobooks. I mean, uh, I don't know if I said this last time, but here in Florida, I can hardly call it hiking because there's no change in elevation. But uh, <laughs> but I but I do like to listen to audiobooks, and sometimes I'll end up taking another lap around the block or whatever just to get to the end of a chapter. You know, you can really really get lost in a book. So yeah, I'm still doing that for sure. The book that I'm listening to right now is a fantasy book called. The Black Prism. The author's name is uh, Brent Weeks, and it's uh, it's something that a friend recommended to me, and it's sort of a a book about magicians who can bend and shape light to their will, which is interesting. It's a little corny, but I'm really enjoying it. Don't feel bad about it being all flat. You're not sitting on the couch eating potato (laughs) chips, you know? And you're doing something, and that's very important. I recently heard a story about that on, I think it was NPR, they were going over the different activities that people do. And it all boiled down to this 20-minute workout that they had someone doing on the show. But they were talking about how much you burnt sitting on the couch versus walking, doing anything. So yeah, the point was it all adds up. Now, something I did not ask you about last time, thinking back to any birthday, which one was your favorite birthday and why was it? Oh, my goodness. That's a tough question. I'm trying to remember my birthdays. It's tougher for me. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm struggling to remember a specific birthday right now, but I mean, I, it's got to be when I was a kid. I mean, birthdays are always better when you were a kid. Now, on my birthday, you know, maybe my wife and I will go out on a date and she'll get me a video game or something. And that's kind of the end of it. But, you know, when you're a kid, it's a whole big production, cake and candles and, and all your friends are over there and all your friends have to buy you presents because, you know, that's the law. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's the price of admission to the party. Where's the gift? Right, right, right. <laughs> and then everyone gets a loot bag at the end, which is always fun. Yeah, as a kid, you're excited at things you want. As I get older, I just want a nice, quiet night with the missus. For is sure. great. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm cutting the kids out. You're all appreciated. <laughs> Don't get upset. You'll understand someday. Thinking back to middle school for you, on your bedroom wall, you recall what posters and or pictures that you had? The Matrix. So The Matrix came out in 1999. That movie was already out when I was in middle school, but I was obsessed with The Matrix. I mean, holy crap. That was my number one thing for sure. Uh, so I probably had a poster of the Matrix on my wall and maybe some Digimon stuff. When I was uh, 
when I was a kid, everyone was really into Pokemon. I mean, I'm really the correct age for Pokemon came out and, uh, you know, my all my classmates and everything were into it. But then Digimon came out, which is not a parody of Pokemon, but it's just, you know, different. And it's, you know, more or less a blatant ripoff. But I was always like a, a Digimon <laughs> fan because I wanted to be a contrarian. I can see why The Matrix would make such an impression on you. When I first saw that movie, I was like, oh, my God. God, where has this been? This is great. You know, it really did change things forever. All the special effects. To me, that was a non-superhero story that had a superhero. To be honest, I even like the sequels. I'm an apologist for the uh, the Matrix sequels because I think they're great. And uh, and you know, of course, I went and saw them when I was what was that like 2002 that the second movie came out. So I would have been in seventh grade, and I went to the movie theater and saw it. Maybe it's because they came out at that time. But I'm a big fan of those movies. It's a great trilogy. Now, if someone were to make an action figure of you, what would be your accessory? Oh, jeez. I don't know. That's a tough one. I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to say something self-deprecating here. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh digimon <laughs> right right actually i think my accessory would be a board game because uh right now as i'm speaking to you i'm sitting next to my shelf of board games that has a shameful number of board games on it spilling out of the shelves i have a calac shelving unit from ikea and it's not enough to hold all the board games that i own and i'm uh, i'm super into that so that would probably be my accessory now that's interesting board games because a lot of people are into video games now you've always been into those i've always liked board games but i got a lot more into them in college i was introduced to a few games and uh, i had a few roommates that we would play games like Settlers of Catan and then uh, and then sort of after college I started hanging out with people who were really into the whole board gaming culture and got into a bunch of other games and I, to me not only are the games fun but it's like a great way to hang out with people and sort of uh, have fun honestly now even the people who are my friends who aren't board gaming people know that when they come over to my place, we're going to play board games and they want to. I mean, because it's fun and it's a it's like a fun social thing. You know, everyone's involved and everyone's laughing and talking. It's just a really good time. The best part about it is a chance to socialize. Uh, my friends and I used to play Monopoly and we didn't know what we were doing. We'd play forever because <laughs> we just weren't playing it properly. But it was just the kind of camaraderie and having fun with it that was the best part. Board games, it's kind of you know, an old way of entertaining. Thinking about technology, there's a lot that we don't use anymore. It's kind of gone by the wayside, but it was pretty cool at the time, and sometimes you miss it. Is there any form of technology growing up that you miss now that we don't have anymore? It's considered obsolete, but you still kind of like it. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, my original vision for my life was that I was going to be the next Steven Spielberg. I was really into uh, making movies and filming and and video editing and whatnot. And so I would watch every movie I could get my hands on. Uh, as a kid, we had all these VHS tapes. And then as I got a little older, you know, we got a DVD player and I started buying DVDs. And this is so funny because this is like the first thing, technology thing that made me start to feel old because people don't really buy DVDs or use DVDs anymore, mm -hmm. uh, which seems crazy to me. But now, you know, it's all digital or streaming or whatever. Like, why would you buy a copy of a movie when you can go on Netflix and watch it? But I had all these DVDs. Summer jobs in high school, I would spend all the money that I got 
on DVDs. Um, <laughs> so, which seems stupid now. I'm like, what if I had all that money back, you know? But, uh, but so all those DVDs are still at my parents' house in the attic. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, every once in a while, if I'm back home at my parents' house, I'll be like, I really want to watch this movie. And I'm like, wait a second. I own that movie and just got to go up into the attic and find it because I had so many. You know, obviously now I don't really buy DVDs because it seems silly. It seems pointless. But, you know, there's something inside of me that that like collector's itch that was very satisfied by, you know, buying those DVDs and lining them up. It's probably why I own way too many board games. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm the same way. I still buy them. I know they're streaming services, and I use them a lot. And I think it's really good for the kids because what are you going to do with that stuff when they get older? But you turn on Netflix, you can play a kid's show, pick up a whole season. They can sit there and watch it. And then it says, would you like to buy season two? I'm like, no, because they don't <laughs> know the difference, and they will watch season one a million times. So I'll just stick with season one. All um, right. But I wouldn't want to have all those things piled up. But I still have all my DVDs that I've bought over the years. I have a whole shelf of classic Doctor Who. My wife's like, so you're going to watch those again, huh? How much <laughs> did you spend on those? I'm like, I know, I know. That kind of makes me stop buying too many DVDs, especially a movie, unless I love it. Because how many times am I going to watch it? And like, where am I going to put all this stuff? It takes up some space. Some things I just want to have. Not only for the movie, but also for the commentary that goes with it. Like I got the Marx Brothers first four with all the brothers. And it's on Blu-ray and it has commentary. I love that kind of stuff. And I got like a set of noir films. It's like ten. And some I had already seen. And I'm like, that is so good. I want to own it. And I want to hear the commentary. I want to hear what they have to say about it. So I'll watch it again with the commentary on. Same thing with the Doctor Who stuff. I've watched it enough. I'll watch it with the commentary on. It's like, do you really need to own it? It's on streaming. You, you want to watch Avengers? Turn on TV even. They'll have those blocks of showing the Avengers like five times a day. <laughs> I think there are some things that are so good. Like at this point, you know, like you said, there are certain things you do buy because you do want to watch it over and over again. Like when it comes to books, for example, or movies or TV shows or whatever, there's so many now. Like there's so many all the time that it's like, why would you ever rewatch something when there's new stuff or reread a book when there's new books? But, you know, there are some that are just so good that you return to them over and over again. So I totally understand that. The last Spider-Man movie, we bought that. That was a oh. great film. We watched that a zillion times. That's great. Uh, Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok, I could watch that a zillion times. You know, yeah. it's just a great story. So yeah, that's a case where I'll crumble and I'll buy it. <laughs> now, what is the oddest job you've ever had, excluding being a middle school teacher? Uh, <laughs> you know, those summer jobs, things you had to do to kind of make ends meet the most odd job I ever had for me it was the most odd because i'm not like a super physical person i worked at a golf course one summer and this was after i graduated from college and i was you know i was looking for a job and i was a little desperate so i ended up taking this job at a golf course and i worked there pretty much full time that whole summer for about five months you know right up until they closed down the golf course because there was snow on the ground I actually liked working outside a lot, being out in the fresh air and everything. I had uh, a close call on the golf course. There was a big hill. One of the holes was up on a big hill where to get up to the um, the area where you tee off, uh, you had to go on like a, a switchback path because it was so steep. And 
I was uh, riding in a golf cart or sort of like a utility golf cart. The kid who was driving was younger than me. He was like 16 or something, and he lost control of the cart as we were at the top of the hill, and we get, went careening down the hill and went over each level of the switchback. And, uh, and there was one final level of switchback that was like 12 feet down, and we nosedived into the path on the level before that. And it stopped us, and we ended up having a few uh, sprains and, and oh. fractures. It was very scary. <laughs> but it was like if we had gone one more level, like there's a good chance we might have been done for. Uh, <laughs> and so from then on, for the rest of the summer, I never let that kid drive if we were doing some job together. So we have something in common. I spent a summer working at a golf course when I was in college. Um, I don't think we've ever talked about that before. My uncle actually was a mainstay at the golf course. He was a caddy there for decades. So he got me a job and said, come on, I'll you know show you how to do it. I would do what they called a loop. i go out, do 18 holes on a good day twice a day with two bags each time. So that really got you in shape, walking with bags. <laughs> for sure, yeah. And, you know, when somebody really good was playing, you're like, oh, awesome great then when you see some others kind of schlep out you're like oh no like some of the guys <laughs> would hide to go oh gosh here comes bob let's hide let's hide because you <laughs> did not want to because you'd be out there for five hours you cannot do two loops that day your income goes down so you wanted the guys that were fast there was a group of guys it was on a wednesday i mean they carried their own bags they took a golf cart you just kind of they call it a four caddy you just kind of go with them kind of help them out but you don't have to schlep anything they hit the ball and practically were like power walking <laughs> they had to get done so it was like easy money nice <laughs> <laughs> i guess each of us have a favorite movie it must be caddyshack <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic See, that's worth owning <laughs> right right what do you think is the best film ever made of any genre that you like, what's the best one? And why do you think it's the best? That's a tough question because there's like films that I think are good and then films that I like. If you ask me what my favorite film in terms of pure enjoyment was, as a 2009 movie called Fired Up about two high school football players who join the cheerleading team so they can try to have sex with all the cheerleaders on, on <laughs> at cheerleader camp. Uh and the actors in it are like 30 years old and like they're obviously 30 years old, but they're like playing like they're, you know, 17 years old. It's a really bad movie, but I love that movie. As far as movies that I think are like actually good. Well, the first movie that ever like made me really emotional was Legends of the Fall, Brad Pitt movie. Have you seen that movie? I don't think I've seen that one. It came out in the 90s and it's sort of like this period piece about three brothers who go off to World War One, and then they come back and it sort of follows their lives after that. And it's like this long drama period piece. It just like really resonated with me. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily like a super good movie. It was at least nominated for some some awards. And then, you know, I mean, I went to film school, so I know like the answers that I'm supposed to say in terms of what's the best movie of all you know like citizen kane is the best movie of all time i mean i like citizen kane okay i can see you know the merit of it that my favorite part about citizen kane is like actually the tragic part how orson wells gained a bunch of weight and then never lost it and that's a real commitment to your art i guess I guess that, that was sort of a rambly answer to your question. I like that movie, Legends of the Fall. I, I do have a little bit of trivia about Orson Welles, though. Did you, I'm sure you know this. You're, you're like a, a movie buff guy. Did you know what Orson Welles' final role was? I know a movie came out recently that was an unfinished one of his, but his final role. Oh, mm, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was the wine commercials. Uh, 
Oh, I, uh, I don't know about that. Paul Masson. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen I'll that. serve no wine before it's time. <laughs> I've seen a few of his films recently. I've really gotten into a lot of those lately, like The Third Man, uh, A Touch of Evil, or Touch of Evil it is, rather. So, But I don't know what his last one was. What was that? 1984, the Transformers movie. No. Was it a voiceover? He is a voiceover. He played the role of the villain Omnicron, the devourer <laughs> of planets. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great piece of trivia. I did not know that, sir. Thank you. My final question, let's tie it back into a small favor. If you could travel to a certain point in time, what era would it be? I'm looking back in the past. When would it be? All right, because my first answer was going to be, obviously, I would go to the distant future because there's no way it's not better than now. But <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I think if I could go... Back in time, I would either go back really far, like ancient Greece, or I would go back to something more recent, like the 60s, because everything is uh, from, a you know, with rose-colored glasses on and seeing as I wasn't alive in that time, the 60s seemed like a fun time. There's some practical reasons for that, because you've got like penicillin and other things, medicine, because I don't want to go back so far. You know, I got right. a cold. Well, I'll get some leeches. Oh, we'll just do some bleeding. <laughs> I, you know, I would not fare too well then, but I can see the freedom of going way, way back. Uh, you probably wouldn't live as long, but you'd probably have a lot more fun. <laughs> you know, lifespans were a lot shorter. You know, when you were 40s, you're an old man. You know, 60s would be cool because I don't remember much of the 60s. Not that I was partying. I just I wasn't cognizant yet. I don't know. I don't remember right. anything. <laughs> It's been a lot of fun. I enjoy going over the fun questions with you and looking forward to a small favor. The Kickstarter launches on January 22nd. Very reasonable price points for everybody. So this is a great point to jump on and get a start on this wonderful series. Caleb, thank you so much for joining me again on Creative Talks. Thank you. And again, Caleb, happy birthday today. I hope you enjoy it. And it looks like once again, you are on the path to success with your Kickstarter. A small favor. Welcome to Earthworld. Coming up next Thursday. Well, I haven't quite decided yet, but I can tell you this. I have several podcasts already recorded. In February, I'm going to focus on a new publisher, Cave Pictures Publishing, and some of the creators working on comics being published under that banner, many of whom you are familiar with already, and some that have already been on the show at least once. Returning will be Meredith Finch. Making his first appearance will be Billy Tucci, and also artist Ethan Nicole of Axe Cop fame. Plus, I have many other interviews lined up, of other creators, some of which you've heard of, some of which you haven't. But there's lots of great stuff coming your way soon. Meanwhile, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or all three if you really want to. That's at Creator Talks Pod, at Creator Talks Pod. My website, creatortalks.com. You can reach me there through my email address, contact at creatortalks.com. That's contact at creatortalks.com. The show is out every Thursday through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. If you have a chance, please leave a star rating on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. These really help the podcast get noticed. Now, I know this week's podcast was a little short, but coming up are some longer episodes, closer to an hour, so I hope you enjoy those. There's lots of good conversation coming up soon. Thank you for listening this week, and I hope you join me again next week. For Creator Talks, this has been your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.